from Melbourne and Minneapolis. This is for Christ's sake. Chapter 9. Pierre Mornel had but one dream, and that was to become a chef. True, at his present job he did no cooking, but he was young, at 16, and even as a waiter he was learning. Hello, and welcome to the show. My name is Hugh, I'm joined by my comrade across the pond, Hunter. The, the pondy, the Pacific Ocean this time. That is correct. Yep, that's me, I'm Hunter. Hi, how's it going guys? Not bad. That's good to hear. And uh, what are we doing? We're reading Scratch One, mm. which is the second novel that Michael Crichton published, albeit not under his own name. What name did he favour? Um, I believe it's John Lange. Uh We've been reading this book uh, chapter by chapter and... Uh, verse by verse. Yeah, and summarising it for you and you've been really enjoying it and we've been really enjoying it and it's all great. We've been enjoying all and, of your uh, fan mail. Yeah. All right, yes. Yeah, so, so we're here today with Scratch One, the second novel by Michael Crichton under the name John Wing. And uh, we're reading, we have read, we're not reading, uh, chapter nine out of 50 chapters. Oh, God. No, it's like 25, half that. All right, you, uh, last time on the pod, we were kind of, uh, I think, I believe both of our attention had started to, to, started to flag a little bit. Would you second that? Yep, seconded. Uh, in part just because of how monotonous the, uh, not the prose necessarily, but the uh, lack of forward plot momentum had, was starting to get to me at least a little bit. And the fact that Crichton seemed to be uh, just repeating the same scenarios over and over again, and sometimes it would really just inserting recaps of events that we had already seen and had recapped already just over and over again. But, uh, Hugh, would you say that this chapter freed us from the death spiral of uh, repetition that we had been accustoming ourselves to uh, over the last uh, two or three chapters? Sure. <laughs> Should we quickly, quickly summarize where we were in the story just prior to this? Yeah. Uh, so, Very quick. So Roger Carr is a lawyer who's in Paris. Not in Paris. That'll do. <laughs> He's a niece. He's a niece. He is trying to procure a estate for a governor. Uh, simultaneously, there's an international plot involving this... Uh, League of uh, evil French uh, Algerians um, who are trying to disrupt an arms sale to uh, Israel, and the French government and the American government, or I don't know, some government has dispatched an American spy slash assassin named Morgan, who Carr has uh, subsequently been mistaken for by uh, both sides. Yes, and the, the big bad, Lissau, who is the head of the aforementioned uh, French-Algerian uh, organization trying to foil this arms deal, mm. uh, has sent one of his goons, uh, a, a German buff dude named Brower, mm. 
to procure Mr. Carr, not kill him, but just bring him to Lissau for questioning. And uh, he's so far failed in his efforts. That's a, that's a very appropriate thing to bring up because we come in medias res in this chapter of another failed attempt of Browers to kidnap uh, Mr. Carr. Indeed. Because it turns out where we left, the exact thing we la- left at last time was Carr ordering a chicken salad sandwich into Gimlet. And uh, this um, Pierre Morneau uh, is a busboy. Uh, is that what you call it? I'm not sure. I know that applies to restaurants, but I don't know about a hotel at large. But just one of those people who... A bellboy. Bellboy. Let's go with bellboy. Bellboy works. So he's a bellboy or a waiter who is bringing car his room service. Uh, and he wants to be a chef, so he... Uh... Naturally, he tastes the food before yeah. bringing it to all the <laughs> yeah. guests. Of course. So, uh, yeah, he, he tastes the food and da 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 there's a, been some a poison dropped in the food and then clunk he's on the ground and then car here's a knock on the door it's two people that he doesn't know and then they leave <laughs> i'm sure that won't come up ever again so my assumption here was that they were expecting him to be passed out yeah that's that's a good uh use of context clues then uh mr car gets a telegram that says there's a specific bill you should buy he gets a telegram from the governor who employed him yeah. Um, which advises him that the governor has already found the villa he wants. Yeah. And he just needs Carr to go along to the uh, real estate office and uh, procure it for him, if possible. And he sets a price. Yes. Half a mil. It's a lot of money in 1966. Uh, yeah. It's like, what, like $300 billion now? Even more if you adjust for inflation. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. I know, that was the joke. <laughs> oh, it wasn't very funny. Neither of our jokes were. But in combination, hilarious. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure our fans have, have come to appreciate our, uh, what's it called? Dad humor? <laughs> Bad humor, I think, is what you were fumbling for. Lad humor? We both, lad humor. We both embody like British lad culture from the uh, late 90s, right? Yeah. We're, um, we like Britpop. We love Britpop, but we prefer House. The TV show. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll just stay in and watch out while everyone else goes yeah, out yeah. clubbing. <laughs> that's, that's, that's how brand. That's a lad culture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so, uh, yep, so Carr makes a stink with the uh, concierge, not the concierge, the restaurant. Maybe the concierge. Might call the concierge to get to the restaurant. I don't know. I don't know how the phone system works at the hotel. Makes a stink, and then he gets the proper food stuff delivered, and then that's the end of the section. Mm-hmm. And then we get a really charming extended <laughs> sequence. I think that we both enjoyed quite a bit. Loved it. <laughs> Wish it was longer. So uh, something else that we neglected to mention was that the last chapter concluded with uh, Carr meeting with a garlic-breathed uh, man who promised to have information in exchange for some percentage of the sale. Uh, and and now this man has been uh, kidnapped by LaSalle. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, there's just an extended torture sequence that I thought was pretty unpleasant. And, um, <laughs> I mean, it was a little bit of, uh, you know, Crichton demonstrating his uh, knowledge of medicine to a disturbing degree. Uh, he definitely comes off as a kind of a sadist to me. I don't know about you. There's certain. I agree. I, I don't really see the point of this scene beyond... Yeah. 
that. Yeah. Clearly, um, this is something that is uh, a type of situation that would happen in the like James Bond, you know, movies that obviously Crichton is indebted himself to, right? Like Bond's always getting tortured. I believe it was a, a heavier feature of the novels or yeah. a more explicit feature of the novels than it ever was on film. Which probably makes more sense considering that when did the first Bond film come out? Doctor No is 1962. So presumably it's a mixture of the films and the novels that is, is the inspiration behind this, right? Yeah, I'm, but it feels to me that he goes further than either property or either version of the same property would go. But that's, that's why you can detect his sadism in this, you know what I mean? Like, the fact that he is yeah. so specific about the way that this man is tortured, which is really horrific. I don't know if we need to get into the specifics, what do you think? Like Crichton, we don't need to repeat his, um, his crimes. Hey, why not? Uh, I don't want to do it. Basically, most of the torture that is described is um, Blissau making an incision along uh, this man's finger, opening up the cut, and uh, dropping in sulfuric acid, occasionally neutralizing it with um, sodium chloride. Yeah. And then r- rinsing and repeating. Yep. That's that's the main thing. He does more than that, and he threatens to do more than that. Well, clearly um, he does the, do more than that. It's just not mentioned in the. It's not described in yeah. the text. You know. And uh, the ultimate uh, end of this uh, sequence is that um, the little man never ends up spilling the beans. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. And uh, it gets to the point where he's just physically incapable of speaking, even if he wanted to reveal something. So, null and void. Yeah, I mean, he, he bites his own tongue off at the, the end of it. Yes. Uh, so anyway, um, there's a, that, that unpleasant torture sequence. Then we get some fucking great comedy with the psychiatrist and... Uh, <laughs> oh, this Gorman. is so dumb. Yeah, so, so Gorman, the guy who Morgan works for... Uh-huh. And who's been having frustrating conversations with um, Carr, thinking he's Morgan, um, is venting to his psychiatrist. Mm. And like the world's worst, like, secret agent or whatever he is, yeah, he's telling his psychiatrist intimate details of actually what's happened with his work. That no matter, no matter what psychological issues someone of, of his profession is dealing with would never happen, sure. Well, I mean, definitely not, unless it was, like, someone who was employed by the FBI specifically, right? Yes, that's true, that's true. Or about the internal, CIA or the embassy service. Or yeah, whatever. an internal psychological Foreign examiner, service. which it doesn't appear to be. No. Uh, and so, clear, clear, clearly, this is Crichton setting it up that the psychiatrist is leaking information to Lisa, right? Yeah. Yeah, and then it's just another great example of uh, Crichton repeating stuff that we had already learned for no reason. Uh, then Roger Carr uh, goes, has dinner, goes down to the hotel bar, doesn't feel like going out. Yeah. A stunningly beautiful Eurasian sits next to him. Yeah. Crichton's words. She's sent by uh, Gorman. Yeah, she's sent by Gorman to, to see what's up. And to, uh, yeah, see if uh, Carl will, you know, give, him, give her some uh, information. Give her the lowdown. Yeah, and said so he's just going to, said he's just going to give her a load. <laughs> All right. And the lay of the land. Uh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the type of this is the type of sexism that I I, I, I want Crichton to confine himself to. <laughs> so the, the torture based sexism of yeah. Hans on. 
Which we already had a little bit of this novel too. The sexism that's that's more sexist than it is misogynistic, even though they're kind of degrees of the same thing. Well, the sexist that's more like, oh, I'm viewing women as sex objects versus I'm gonna write for a long prolonged scenes of them getting tortured and enjoyed Yeah. <laughs> Which I think was the fatal flaw of uh odds on. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna have other flaws. <laughs> there are lots of fatal flaws. <laughs> It's kind, of, it's kind of like a Caesar, you know. There's <laughs> lots of cuts there. Anyway, like, they, they get to chatting. All Car is concerned about is getting her into bed. And uh, he succeeds. Yeah. He's, he's looking to uh, wet his whistle with her, her whap. Am I right? <laughs> Very contemporary reverence. And there, I, honest, I, I, I did say that I prefer this version of sexism mm. uh, in Crichton's work. Um, but I will say that he does obviously slip in a bit of uh, mildly racist stuff along the way. So, yeah, there's there's one part in particular I thought was really weird. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, so he seduces her. Uh, then he describes her body, body like this. If we could do a little segment of for crying out loud, he's riding and proud. Come on, let's hear it right about now for crying out loud. She put her finger to his lips and kissed his shoulder. Don't tell me about them. Tonight, I will have you all to myself. Is there more champagne? A whole bottle. Mmm. She pushed back the covers and turned on the tiny bed lamp. And bare feet, she padded over to the silver ice bucket. A truly sleek body, Carr decided, watching her. <laughs> they just don't come like that. They just don't come in that bottle in America. All those firm, slicker muscles... Yeah, it's still soft and feminine. I, I, don't, I didn't really get it. I was not a... It was not a particularly um, illustrative uh, passage here for me. I was not able to form a picture of this woman in my head. But hmm. I also thought this passage was weird, too, because he's suggesting there are no Eurasians in America. Yeah, I thought that was weird as well. There's probably a higher percentage of Asian Americans. I'm glad you quoted that description of her and not the previous more racist one so <laughs> uh, I, must have, I must not have been reading this that closely because i didn't read the really racist i mean i'll one. quote it for you i might not include this on the <laughs> podcast but he said she was a very feminine girl but without the delicate fragile look of so many mixed orientals <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, yes, <laughs> Jesus. Okay. i do remember that <laughs> that was pretty crazy uh, he's such a creep <laughs> am i okay yeah well, there's a reason he was married like 10 times <laughs> i'm just gonna say that um yeah he is are we done with this stupid chapter? Yeah, so yes, sex with her, and that's it. So um, I guess uh, if you're engaged, if you're engaged by our uh, our wit and our commentary, please tune in uh, later this week for another study episode. Of, uh, for Christ's sake! <laughs> yep, the end.